0: What is up, guys? It's Derek G Speaks Volumes. And this one, as we round out the year, as we get closer to the end, as we know, everyone's going to take a break. So I am starting to wrap up with some wrap up podcasts. This one is fun. This is going to be everything about the music stories that shaped 2023. Now... I need to preface this by obviously saying that. This is not an encyclopedia of music news that's happened. I'm sure I've missed out on something. This is a one-man band podcast. And this is going to be a classic Derek J Speaks Volumes podcast, which is exploratory, conversational, one-way conversation, if you will. And just my analyzing my purview of of the music industry as a whole and, and what's been going on. And I'm excited. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about... How I'm going to take the podcast into different places in the new year as well. But this is this and that is that. And let's get into the podcast. Overall, I think 2023 has been a really good year for music. I think that there's been a lot of amazing music. I think there's been a lot of activity. I think there's been a lot to analyze. I think there's been a lot of unusual things that have happened, but by and large, it's nothing that, I, I don't think you necessarily would argue that it's been a bad year. I think it would be pretty difficult to call this a bad year. And I'm not even basing it on the, just how many 10 out of 10 albums that were or stuff like that. But I just think that, there's been ample amounts to talk about and listen to, which, you know, it's, it, just, it doesn't happen every year, I'll be honest. So in this podcast, I'm just going to break down different topics and then maybe touch on it for a few minutes. Hopefully there are some things that you might relate to. So hopefully there are some things that you find interesting yourself and that you have recognized as being a significant part of the year. Hopefully this is a bit of a, a, a memory lane or a bit of a yearbook of the year that was 2023. But of course... Of course, the biggest, the biggest story of the new was Taylor Swift, by far, by far. She is at this point, not only the biggest pop star in the world, not at this point, she always has been for a long time, but she is a legacy act. There were people who have grown up with her from age 13 until 33 or something. So she has not only a very focused and specific demographic of people that are living through a time that she's communicating with, but also people that have grown up with her and are living completely different lives to her who are still rusted on and supporting her, including the people that might've raised those people. So those parents have been along for that ride as well. So her year, where do you even start? I think that the, the tour, the era's tour that she's been on has been absolutely insane and will be a billion dollar tour by the end of it. And the endurance behind it, the the commentary behind the endurance behind it, the commentary around just the stadiums that she's selling out, and you know sixty thousand, a hundred thousand football stadiums at the level she's doing it, at the rate she's doing it, and at the distance of the globe that she's covering. Goodness gracious me! I wonder. Obviously, it will be satisfying as an artist to sing and speak to your fans, but obviously, surely, be thinking like, man, I just made another fifty million dollars tonight. Nice. <laughs> surely, right? I think another one which. It can be a detraction from her image that has been a big news story. this has been her dating life. And I say detraction because people that aren't fans aren't about to become fans when they learn and realize just how much of her life and her personal life is in the press. There was big dramas and rumors around her and Matty Healy. There is also her and Travis Kelsey from the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, I believe. I'm not a football guy, but... That is always a hot topic. And if you want my personal opinion on this, I do find it particularly interesting. I think that people talk about whether these are PR relationships or they're real, we'll never know. I have a sense that the more that Taylor is spoken about in different spaces, the better. So I have a feeling that it is more likely that they are PR relationships to kind of get you in the national television realm of sports to get you in the conversation with the British tabloids, and we will never know, or wait, maybe we won't know for a long time. But I think one of the bigger criticisms is there was a TikTok of a young woman saying that Taylor Swift uses feminism the wrong way and uses it for her advantage to sell more tickets and to sell stream more songs, and the same might. Said for her relationships in the world and how she might use that for a business advantage. But at the end of the day, she's living the best life and having the best time. So, what is art? Art is expression, art is seeing ourselves in others. So perhaps she is the ultimate artist. And I think it has been her year. I didn't have this on my list, but I'll touch on it briefly. But Maddie Healy in the 1975 obviously had a big year toward the world and is a very controversial figure. And I find the whole 1975 experience really unusual and i spoke to someone recently that knows him quite well and they said oh he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly how to get attention which i think is all very clear and we all know about but then at the same time they said oh he was kind of like put in this situation where he was on this adam freeland podcast and cancelled even though he didn't want to be part of it so it's there's this kind of dichotomy duality or or conflict there where uh, is he an evil genius not evil is he a mad genius mad professor perhaps who is architecting as much press and popularity and notoriety around himself or is he a victim to circumstance of being passionate and wearing his heart on his sleeve we shall never know Another big return for the year was Olivia Rodrigo. I know I'm going very pop, and this is not even stuff that I listen to. I could be talking about a lot more niche things. But I think that uh, mainstream culture and music culture has a lot to uh, dictate the rest of the music industry as a whole. Olivia Rodrigo's comeback was interesting because it started to raise the conversation around pop stars and how many new, exciting mainstream global, world-famous pop stars there are in the world and how few there are. Ice Spice, Oliver Rodrigo, there's only a small handful of people that are actually main, main, mainstream that are permeating almost global culture, especially in the West as well. And that discussion really revolves around breaking artists, the amount of artists that are uploading music to the Internet, the amount of people that have quote unquote influence and reach. And also the conversation around the ability and immobilization or inability of major labels to break new artists as well. I find that conversation really interesting and that Olivia Rodrigo is one of the few outside of K-pop, which I'll take on later, who have managed to really penetrate in a meaningful way. The next story that I found interesting was around Drake and aging. And he released his For The Dogs album. He's been on his tour recently. And there was a lot of conversation around whether he should be making music that reflects his age whether he is too old he's now 37 at the time of recording this where he should be talking more about things that are more appropriate and not things about him clubbing and drinking and women and all those sort of things and the expectations around hip-hop artists as they age is a really interesting topic because i do think that as hip-hop artists have aged they have touched on more serious subject matter but i think that should not be a general rule and my personal opinion on that is that drake seemingly is living his truth in his life and there there can be a bit of cringe if he's talking like a gen z or he's acting like a gen z but also he seems like a very wealthy very complicated man who has had a tumultuous relationship with relationships and just is enjoying being rich, enjoying women. And that's what he can relate to talking about. And he even even had a track, I forget what it's called, but where he was talking about, he can't be that guy anymore. He can't represent that kind of thing anymore because he doesn't feel those things anymore, such as like a really pure, naive sense of love. But I think that that story about as we get older and what we expect out of our favorite artists and whether they're providing that to us and what, that signifies to us is an interesting and evolving conversation, especially as we as music fans get older and change our opinions about our favorite artists. Next I want to talk about personality films and I reflect upon this because there were two big Elvis films this year. There was Priscilla by Sophia Coppola. there was Elvis by Baz Luhrmann. and I think that what this is indicating to me is that you know what the next, Marvel franchise of the movie world is is going to be biopics as many biopics about musicians as possible because they're noticing with Elvis with Priscilla that there are these worlds that you can semi-fictionalize based on true stories that people want to watch for nostalgia purposes people want to watch from a history purpose but people also want to watch to see how this otherworldly experience that we may or may not have lived through would be translated to film so Elvis is the early signs. Now, these sort of films have been around before. There's been the Johnny Cash documentary, Walk the Land. We've had countless of biopics and whatnot. But I think that with the ever, ever expanding universe of different film franchises, as well as the conservatism around movie studios and wanting to find safe bet franchises, I think we're only at the beginning of this type of format. So... I am sure that we are going to see different areas of Michael Jackson in different documentaries. We, we might see The Beatles. We might see The Rolling Stones. We'll see Marvin Gaye. And we'll probably see another one by the time all said and done that we live our lives on this planet. But I think that that rate in which we're seeing two two Elvis films come out this year means that we're just going to see so many more in the future. The next story, which I love thinking about and talking about personally is the rise of Tyler, the South African pop star who has taken Amapiano and pop to the mainstream and making waves and making the charts in North America in particular, which is the dream. I think that that story has been really fascinating for me because for multiple reasons. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Amapiano, and I think that it penetrating the mainstream does mean that perhaps the genre is, might have the, the best might be over in a sense, because now it has reached such a mainstream level. But at the same time, I think it is really exciting that a South African artist with a South African accent is able to become quite a large pop star in a short amount of time with a different sound, with a different look, with a different accent and I think opens up the world to a whole new region, a whole new culture that is exciting for the mainstream audience to look at. Someone like Tyler who is talking about the parties in South Africa and the parties she likes to interact with and how they might not be existent in the places she's traveling in North America and sort of, and sort of inspiring this new generation and educating them on different parts of the world and how not just America, but all over the world, that you can look at places like South Africa as a thriving culture that contributes to music in a big way. So I personally am so thrilled about the Tyler story. The next big, 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 big story, especially in my world, is the Andre 3000 flute album, the, the Woodwind or Wind album. As... Questlove calls it the departure album. The departure album, as he defines it, is the album that is a departure from what they're expected to make in their normal genre, and they've gone a completely different space. Think Trans by Neil Young as an example, or that I, I've talked about many times before, but that... Paul McCartney synthesizer album. It was a big story because OutKast hasn't put anything out in a long time, Under 3000 hasn't put anything out in 17 years. And here was this expectation of one of the greatest of all time to ever record hip hop, to be coming back with a instrumental ambient flute album. I personally wouldn't call it specifically ambient, although a lot of people do, so I'll go with that. But it was a big story because it showed again, as is the theme with Drake, the maturation of an audience and the expectation of an audience and what the audience wants of an artist versus what an artist thinks they are capable of at the time. And I found it really brave. I found it really exciting. People were saying and commenting that, oh, is it that brave when you have this much privilege and you can just do anything and you'll get be successful out of it? Sure, but I think that it is harder for an artist to come back and try to reclaim what they'll for in the past and I think that he chose the more adventurous and exciting, although perhaps less risky route of just saying, you know what? I'm just gonna go left instead of right. I'm not gonna rap over this. It's gonna be an instrumental reset the palette. Do I think he'll make another rap album? I think he's more likely to make an r album or some sort of soul album or some sort of jazz album than a rap album, I would say. Next up, Leve and Jazz, the Icelandic Chinese artist. That I remember when I came across her in 2020, 2021, and her music was played to me and I thought, you know, it's it's vocal jazz, it's cute, nice, good for her. I did not expect her to be a viral TikTok sensation. I did not expect for her to be such a talking point of 2023. Why? If you don't know, well, she is a young multi-instrumentalist, cellist, guitarist, singer who has the most successful jazz album. I don't remember the records in recent memory, of course, and of the year and sparked a debate, sparked a lot of excitement because she is young, she's exciting, and she is touring and playing of vocal jazz. And there was also this conversation and argument around, is it jazz? And should she be the face of jazz? And is this right or is this wrong? And it was interesting for me because as a big fan of jazz, to see someone reinvigorate something that I found very old and mothball-y to something that appeals to the youth to the romantics to people that don't know anything about jazz and I welcome the conversation and I don't think the the point of the conversation is to have a conclusion I think that it is a healthy thing that we can talk about there being a young person challenging what is jazz and whether they should be the representative for it my opinion vocal jazz is vocal jazz to me I think she is a talented young woman who makes pretty music for a particular demographic that is that kind of wistful dreaming type I think that I don't listen to vocal jazz so much. I don't particularly love vocal jazz outside of perhaps, and this is possibly closed-minded of mine, perhaps outside of the classics of Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald and Dina Washington. I love that sort of stuff. I think that over the years it hasn't evolved or changed much, so it kind of stays in that sort of sound, which is why I don't explore it these days. But I think that everything deserves to be brought back. Will Leve be? and be a Badoobie that kind of evolves and changes their sound, or will she become Michael Buble? Only time will tell. Next up, let's talk about TikTok. Let's talk about TikTok and its influence on music. I think that TikTok has matured as a platform, isn't going anywhere and used to be, especially in 2020, 2019, even 2021, was seen as the platform to make it the platform where you will have influence, the platform where if you go viral, you can become a star. We've seen artists become stars off the back of TikTok like Jake. We've seen comedians become stars off the back of TikTok like Matt Reif, who's going through his own strife right now, but then you also have in 2023, more users, more content, more niches, less efficacy in terms of dance trends, in terms of music trends. In saying that Tyler's Water was a big trending song, there are still big trending songs, but I think that it is declining in terms of its music potency as a place to make and break stars. I would actually argue that for the last five years or so, Outside of TikTok, YouTube still owns that crown because I think people develop a deeper relationship with artists on YouTube, Leve, Grant Perez, people like that. So I think that it's possibly a good thing that music isn't going as viral because I I think that music going viral is not always a good thing for the longevity of an artist and their career and their mindset. And I wrote a newsletter about it earlier this year about TikTok and about social media and the death of the critic. And I've spoken to critic friends of mine. I have seen it online myself where you have different experts and people weighing in on their takes about various albums after listening to it for 24 hours. And I think that music criticism is essential, will always exist and will have people that are held up as the representatives for high quality music criticism. But I would say on the whole, the dilution of music criticism is something that's happened thanks to places like TikTok. Thanks to the emergence of people like myself. Not that I'm a music critic, but someone that commentates on it. I think that there are people that are blown up with very hot texts about, say, Taylor Swift or about any sort of movement in music and can get numbers and popularity. And that says to me that the dilution of music criticism has reached fever pitch where anyone can kind of button on and film a hot take and that drive a narrative or even or even be added to a pile of similar, samey, not very well thought out arguments and dilutes the criticism art form as a whole. And I think that means that we are probably due for a new type of criticism. Form for music. Uh, when I say that, it sounds like a bit reaching, but I think you look at Letterboxd, You look, at, I look at the film industry and how things are rated. Obviously, there are hot takers for film, but I think that people, when they talk about their favorite films, there is—and I could be wrong—less hyperbole and more, it's more personal. When people say these are my favorite films of all time, so many people have raft different answers whether it is romantic comedies or horrors or comedies people like Will Ferrell films people like the Marvel films and I think that that is more accepted than in music I think that it's like well if you don't like the Beatles Kendrick Lamar and Led Zeppelin then you'd have bad taste so I think in film it's matured to the point where you have your taste I have my taste and that is fine and I think that's where we're going to evolve to. Hopefully this year, we've seen a lot of maturation around the streaming services, the kind of digging in of the heels about what they stand for and who they are with the obvious winner being Spotify. And I have spoken at length about the issues of Spotify and the wins of Spotify. And hey, they are making money hand over fist, as well as make taking a lot of risks putting people through redundancies, changing their platform all the time. The news recently was that they have put a cap on they will only pay out artists that get a thousand streams or more, which there was some uproar around because you know, you're know, you a musician and you should deserve to be paid for whatever you're being played. I actually don't think it's a bad thing because there's a lot of like sense going to people that their family and friends and maybe they're streaming the songs themselves in order to get some money out of it. And perhaps there does need to be some sort of rule in order to distribute money to people that might earn more money for Spotify in terms of bringing people to the platform. We're also seeing things like the streaming services upping their fees. And we can expect that year on year, even twice a year where these streaming services will up their fees infinitum. So whatever you're paying now, whether it's $15, not 10 15 $20, I'd imagine in five years' time, it will be closer to $15, 20 $30 for the average consumer. We can only expect that. We're starting to see it change now. And look, until something new comes along, that's the way it's going to be. The big, big, big story of this year was K-pop, to the point where every old Joe knows who New Jeans is, for example, whereas before it was like, oh, K-pop, oh, it's so weird. Oh, I don't know what it is. To people just going, oh, yeah, New Jeans, if they are in this city and I can see them live i will and this is from people that would never say that in their lives so the crossover i would mark on more of a level i know there are people from gen 3 or, or earlier that might argue with me but i think that it has reached the point where it makes sense financially and uh, from a business perspective for western audiences for western businesses to take notice look at Eugene sponsored by Coke and Levi's. You look at them beating the Barbie album to the number one album. You look at Jungkook with smashing the fastest record to get to a billion streams with his song Seven. You look at HYBE, record profits. You look at SM Entertainment, record profits. I wouldn't say we're at the peak, but I think we have broken through the threshold of where K-pop is a legitimate force where people aren't looking at it with a 10-foot pole going, oh, K-pop, that's weird, that's Asian music. Is that kind of like J-pop where people are just running around singing random things to people going, this is legitimate, this is a lot of money, this is exciting, this is full on, it's intense and it's taking over the world, which was always coming and this was what the Korean government had designed for it to do and I think it has finally got there. And when I used to work at Sirius XM, there was a lot of hesitance around K-pop And it needed its own space. And now it's being welcomed in more and more and more as the years go past to the mainstream pop radio space. Because, look, money talks, right? People want to hear it on their stations. And I think that that's what drove it. It's not the tastemakers. It's the people saying, we want to hear V on the pop stations. Them going like, no, it's weird. It's K-pop. And now going like, oh, shit we're behind if we don't. And that's ultimately a good thing for music when the blinkers start to, the blinders start to come off these tastemakers and go, this is legitimate and I need to pay attention to it. It wouldn't be a 2023 conversation if we didn't talk about artificial intelligence To Fake Drake being a big st- topic of discussion around someone who had an AI voice that was Drake that was taken down pretty quickly, but then raised this whole discussion around who has the rights to the likeness of your voice if it was reproduced by a machine. There were people like Grimes that allow people to use her voice created through AI as long as she got credit for it as well. This is an evolving topic, and I did a whole podcast on it about six months ago, talking about the implications and impacts of AI because of this whole fake Drake situation. And it's nowhere near solved, and I think that the streaming services, I think that YouTube, I think the labels, QuickSmart, and I think they will, will start to define what is ownership, what is an artist, which is kind of a scary and interesting and weird thing to think about what is an artist in 2024 and how much of that do we own and how much of that do you own outside of the recorded music. And I would imagine just like the SAG writer's strike that there might be some things in new contracts about we not only own your music, but we own, (laughs) this is grim, your voice and the sound of your voice that sounds of this type of sound during your tenure under your contract. So that means like, maybe we don't want to own the sound of your husky old person voice, but maybe we want the sound of your young voice for for years to come, which is an interesting thing. And look, I, I personally have seen Some artists succeed with AI voices in this gray area on streaming services. There's an unknown artist that makes AI versions of trap songs as sung by SpongeBob SquarePants characters. So Mr. Krabs, SpongeBob, Squidward, there's rapping over trap, and that hasn't been taken down. And I wonder if there's gonna be lawsuits against that type of thing at the moment. People are like, oh, this is fun. The artists are like, oh, I'm making money. It's a Dark World because I don't think it's music. It's more like comedy. And I'm going off on a tangent now, but it is novelty music and comedy music about the references and the pop cultural references rather than just being a funny song. But it's more about, haha, I'm hearing Mr. Krabs say some really sexualized, violent things in their trap songs and is that the new novelty song but this is still a gray area it's not been taken down there's no one taking any issue with that although i do think from a copyright perspective it definitely is an issue but until that changes it's still up there and it's still fine earlier this year the big story around frank ocean and his coachella set was That was fun to witness in a sense. It was the fandom around Frank Ocean uh, losing their minds when his set was either rubbish to some people or it was cancelled the next week. And, and there was also the reported ice rink and the ice skaters, which sounded really cool. And I thought it was a really great conceptual treatment where they, he had like hockey players, professional hockey players, playing on a ice rink. As He was singing or whatever. It was some sort of creative direction visual, which I thought would have been beautiful. And it, uh, a little bit of a fall from grace for Frank Ocean, who had had a lot of anticipation around him, a lot of leaks and, and being disappeared for so long. I don't think he's going to be too damaged from it because new music will always be new music and people were excited by that. But I think that it did taint his image of being someone that was untouchable and the artist, artist, because a lot of people were saying, well, he wasn't singing that much and he canceled obviously, and people flew all that way. I do think that a lot of the, all of the onus is on him for being someone that uh, wasn't able to fulfill his next weekend of duties because of the backlash, because of the last minute cancellations. And, possibly could have been his undoing because he was going through a lot of personal things in his life, perhaps perhaps he had a lot of pressure on himself to make it something truly special because, you know, having a headline slot at Coachella, you want to make it special. And maybe it just didn't get there. And I'm sad for everyone, to be honest. At the same time, there was a really, really great story of Fred again, Forte and Skrillex taking over Frank Ocean's slot. And I really enjoyed that. Not that I listened to any one of them with any closeness, but I thought that it was an electric experience because it was a spur of the moment thing. It was three guys kind of at their peak of their powers, doing as much as they could to put on a good show. And they did. And I enjoyed it. And a lot of people rallied behind the idea of this unlikely trio coming together to put in- this unlikely trio to come together and pull off the impossible and bring a different kind of almost British style DJ set to a mainstream audience, which is to say a messy, messy back-to-back with lots of wheel-ups, lots of edits, and it not being the traditional like EDM set that might be used to on a stage like that, which I thought was great. The next thing that I found interesting, at the very least, was the rise or ascension of Troy Sivan. And why I find that interesting is because not many people are talking about him being a YouTuber, him being an influencer, him being someone that has successfully turned himself into being somewhat of an A-list pop star. He was parodied by Timothy Chalamet in Saturday Night Live. And you don't just be parodied if you're a smaller artist that no one knows who you're talking about. And when we talk about people like Bella Porch, we talk about people like Addison Rae being pop stars. Is Troy Sivan the actual first long-term success story where he's been around for 10 or so years? He has released multiple albums and built in credibility. If you'd asked me a year ago, what do I think about Troy Sivan? I would have said, well, I feel like he's past his prime. He's done his dash. He had his like small peak three years ago, four years ago, and that's that. And now he is a poster child. He has hits, he has mainstream hits. People absolutely love him and he is at fashion shows. He is a bona fide superstar. And I think that ultimately is a good thing. I think it's a good thing for the music industry in so much as they should be looking at what he and his label are doing in terms of excellence, in terms of quality, in terms of patience, in terms of building to get their artists where they need to be. Because Bella Port, she released that one song. I think she has two singles total over the last three years. And I don't really know where she's been since. And looking at Troy Sivan as someone that you should aspire to recreate in terms of a journey of a musician, influencer, YouTuber, it's done so well. And he's still young and he's still smashing it. And he's, I feel like potentially it'll be his next album where it might be like a really critically acclaimed album that might go number one. There are so many things I could talk about, but let's just briefly touch on some of the artist deaths that have come about in 2023. Rich Sakamoto, Sinead O'Connor. I've made a little list, right? The 45 King, who I really admired as a DJ. Erkin Karay from Turkey, which I had no idea that he had passed, which was sad. Astrid Gilberto, Bobby Caldwell, Wayne Shorter. Those are kind of my world of people that you know, I listen to and love and I'll be honest, I didn't know some of those people were still alive. I <laughs> should word. So Wayne Shorter, so I didn't know they were still alive. It's not something I thought about. It's not something I thought about. I wonder what they're doing right now. I just thought they'd passed away in the 90s or something like that. So to hear that they'd passed, you're like, oh, they were alive. But as always, there's going to be some tragic deaths and some people that you kind of expect more in their later years of life, Rich Sakamoto, obviously still quite young, and but had been battling with cancer for a long time and was a bigger one for me in terms of the influence of my life and someone that I have been a fan of all the releases up until today that have has sadly passed away. If you're wondering about my opinions on these things as a whole, well, there's no opinion on death necessarily, but I think that These people exist on earth to inspire us. They obviously go through different stages of their lives until the point where they might not be as well-known. But I think one reflection I had was looking at someone like Sinead O'Connor, who I didn't have any context around, didn't really grow up around, didn't really understand. And when she passed, all these videos coming back on TikTok, all these people talking about her, all these interviews resurfacing about what a revolutionary she was, how individual she was, how hurt she was and that being really interesting to live through someone that I hadn't come across because I know a decent amount about music and being able to experience that and enjoy it and appreciate it in death is a really beautiful thing. And I, I made some videos about Rich Sakamoto before he passed, after he passed, that have resonated with people who didn't know about him. And I'm, gr- I'm glad to or grateful to be the messenger in that person's journey as they pass. something percent of an influence, but I am able to carry the torch and pass it on to a new generation. Those are just some of the interesting highlights. If you're watching this on video, there's a storm brewing. And so the light went down, so I had to turn on this light to compensate. So it's a, a bit of a, a lighting tumult going on on this podcast. But those are some of the music stories of the year. There are millions, there are thousands, there are so many that I could talk about. But those are the ones that top of mind were interesting to me and you heard some of my thoughts around it. But I'd love to hear from you what you thought the more interesting and exciting news stories of the year in music were. Let me know in the comments. Maybe even you learned some new things and you weren't across the things that I've seen this year. So hopefully that helped with you as well. We've got one more episode to go before we finish the year. This has been Derek G Speaks Volumes. A long one, a fun one, a nice one. I'll see you next week.